Pyrox Doubles is a hugely competitive division with a massive number of entrants. In fact, we saw more people compete in doubles at this year's Hyrox World Championships than we did in the individual categories. With so many Hyrox athletes from around the world taking part in doubles, we wanted to speak with someone who knew how to do well. So we reached out to one half of this year's Hyrox World Championship winning team, Taylor Haney. Having won this year's Hyrox doubles, Taylor is clearly a talented athlete. Just looking at the guy and seeing him compete, you know he's an absolute machine. However, what made Taylor even more perfect for this conversation about how you can dominate your next Hyrox doubles event is that Taylor is a very experienced coach, having trained hundreds, if not thousands of hybrid athletes through his hybrid coaching business, Reach Training. In this episode of The Hybrid Experiment, you can expect to learn how to strategize for your next doubles event, how to train for it, why Taylor leans into his hypertrophy training when many athletes shun it, and how a championship mindset can help you succeed, plus plenty more. Okay, so we're here with one half of the Hyrox Doubles World Championship winning team. Uh, this is Taylor Haney. Great to have you, Taylor. So I was hoping you could tell us all how you've been doing since Manchester and how it feels to be a world champion. Yeah, so I got back, uh, I guess, maybe three weeks ago. We stayed a week after and uh, toured, toured the UK, North Wales, London, Manchester, Sussex, Brighton, a couple other spots. Um, been back, like I said, for about three weeks and went right back into training because I had a week off there. And then uh, I, I mentioned this before, but since I've gotten back, I think we all got some strain of COVID. So I've not been able to taste for about three weeks. So outside of that, things are going good. Glad to be stateside. Had a great time in England, but and training is, is going good. So we're here just figuring out what's next. Awesome, man. So um, got you on to talk about doubles. Really excited to talk to you about doubles. So I don't think there's that much information out there about how to train for doubles, um, how doubles is different to individuals. So I guess that will be a good place to start. So in terms of the differences between doubles and a high rocks individual, what would you say people should be prepared for if they do one over the other? Yeah, so individual, I would I would plan for a long, sustained effort with minimal breaks, unless, you know, pending you're trying to be competitive, but you're not going to be really redlining. So if you're if you're redlining in your training of a simulation or in a high rocks individual, you're probably doing it wrong. So think long term sustained, maybe tempo style. And then on the doubles, I would say it's more like a threshold style running and then intervals in the zones. And so your training should probably reflect that. But be prepared for that. Like feeling like you're really elevated in a doubles is normal, but you've got to find way that yeah. um, there's on the singles if you're spiking like there's just real no really nowhere to recover if you want to be competitive unless you just just slow down and, and or stop and nobody wants to do that who's competitive so th- those are the two major differences mm-hmm. so um is one would you say is one harder than the other um, based on my own experience which is which is one race that i've done pro in chicago it's actually where i met I didn't meet, but Dylan and Colin and I were actually all in that race together. We didn't, we didn't know it at the time. Um, I did that race. That was not a great experience for me. There were some outside circumstances, but that was, it's a hard race, but like I've done probably half a dozen individual simulations here at reach 
and then probably twice as many of that doubles at reach. And of course, I've, I've, I've run eight or nine doubles. Um, I think the doubles are harder in the sense of like a maximal effort, right? And then the individual is harder in the sense that it is just you. And so like you've really got to be, you have to stay engaged the whole race. I wear the doubles, you can you can take some breaks. So I think they're difficult in their own right. It really depends on the athlete. If you are an endurance athlete and that's what you're used to doing, then um, I would say the doubles might actually be harder for you because maybe you're not used to the spikes and heart rate and the threshold work. Whereas if you're more of an interval style athlete like me, like I played soccer, the the individual seems to be it's it's more of a drag for me if that makes sense because uh, yep. I never, yep. I, I never. It's hard to feel like oh I can really like drop the hammer per se. Uh, so just, they're just very different races, but fun none the same. They're fun all the same. So I guess in the in the doubles you're going to run faster, knowing that you'll get that bit of rest. Yes, and that's, yeah. Pending pending your your athlete, your teammate is at a comparable speed. Mm-hmm. Nice. So in terms, so I guess if the, the races are quite different from what you're saying, is the training for doubles quite different to how you would train an individual? So yeah, is, if that makes sense, would the doubles training be very different to an individual's training? So I think you can look at this two ways. Uh, if you're following general training, which is, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily what I do, but let's just say You've got an individual coach who's going to coach you one-on-one, like a Marcus Frisson. Um, mm-hmm. Or you're going to follow a, a program, say like Team Reach Trainings, Reach Athlete. Um, if I'm somebody who really needs the kind of one-on-one and I want to maximize that, then you know, obviously you'd probably go the one-on-one route. And that training's going to look a little different. Um, however, all the athletes that I have and uh, that follow just the Team Reach structure um, – they all train the same, whether they're doing an individual or a double. But I would say, like, if you said, I want to be somewhere in between that, like, I just want to follow a structure, um, but I need to kind of tailor it specifically to me. If you're training for doubles, you're going to be doing a lot more like 250 to 500 meter row and ski intervals, right? You're going to be doing a lot of that. And they're going to be at a much higher pace, whereas an individual is probably going to be doing tempo, row and ski, a lot more of that. Um, and then your running, uh, will be, will be a little different. Like you're going to still run the same distances and all that, but your pacing is most likely to be different on an individual versus a double. As far as the volume, um, I recommend the same, um, you know, I'm not going to do less volume because I'm doing double. So I would say if you could put a correlation, they're like 90% the same and it's going to be the small details on uh the interval work like your your temp your ski and your row is going to be a little different um and then your effort level is going to be different Mm -hmm. okay so if we're if someone's listened to this now and they've even not done a high rocks before they've only done individual and they they want some ideas of what of that 10 percent like what of that 10 percent set of workouts would you be recommending they start to incorporate now before their doubles event what would you, what kind of workout would you advise them to do? Yeah. So like, you know, let's, we'll take row ski, for example, you know, six by 250 meters with 45 seconds rest. And you're going to be going at about 85 to 90% of your 500 meter PR pace. Right. And so, you know, they, 
people think the races are not won on the ski in the row. And like, I think that's really difficult to say because in a race, when it's competitive, it's seconds that count, right? So if you're just thinking, I'm just going to get through the row at my normal rate or the ski at my normal rate or whatever, that's not a winning mindset in my mind. You want to maximize all those things. So that's where I would start first. If I'm doing doubles, because typically the people who are going to go for individuals, you know, even just your first timers, you know, they're going to be really thinking in terms of like, how can I just sustain an effort the whole time? Right. I don't really want to push myself too much. And so the vast majority, I, I would say, of their training is going to be, you know, lower intensity. If you're going into a doubles and you want to be competitive, there just has to be a significant uptick in the intensity of your machine work. And then additionally on your running. Um, and so it's really getting prepared for that. Or you're going to, if you don't do that, let's say you had two individuals that have trained specifically to complete a high rocks, right? And then now they're going to do doubles. They're not disgusted. They're not trained. They've just kept the same style, right? They get together. They run the first run. You know, it's great. And they get in there and they're like, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm doing a fraction of work. So I'm, I'm going to go hard, right? So I hit the ski hard. Maybe they hit the first sled, maybe again, harder than they normally would. And then they get into the second or third run and it's like an oh crap moment. Of like, I've not really spiked my heart rate a ton, or I really didn't expect that. And so, like, you never want to get to a race and get surprised. You know what I'm saying? So, again, I would, I would be doing a lot more stuff that's going to spike the heart rate, be able to come down and get back into your running. So, compromised running. And the individuals do, they do that all the same, especially at the elite level. But I, I would, you know, if I was to look at heart rate monitors of, say, the doubles versus the singles, the doubles is most likely going to have a lot more high end, right? And so I just don't think if you don't train that, you're going to be really surprised. You know, you're, you might panic when you get out there. So that would be very easy things you can do straight to the row, straight to the ski, six by 250 meters, practice that. Um, and then that would be the, that would be exactly where I would start. And then you can build on that. Awesome. That's great. So one, one other question I was going to ask, and it's actually quite related to that is how often would you train as a double? So maybe not necessarily you have to train with your um, doubles partner specifically, but how often do you do kind of partner workouts or do you think it's important to train with your partner? Yeah. So I've done both. I think ideally you could train with your partner and I think, you know, and this is a matter of opinion. Um, just for the integrity of the sport, I think it's important that the doubles train together. Um, it's kind of like the CrossFit Affiliate Cup. Like, yeah, we want to, I don't know, it, that's, I want to avoid making super teams. That's just me. Um, I mm -hmm. think you should train at least, it doesn't have to be every day, every week, you know, but a couple times a month I think is ideal. So to answer your question, I think it is important to train with your teammate if you want to be competitive. Now, with that said, I've, I've had a race, I've had, the vast majority of my partners I trained with every single day. I had the fastest race I'd ever done before racing with Colin. I met the athlete once. He came to my gym to do a drop-in. We talked for five minutes. Two, two, and I never saw him again. Two months later, we did Dallas and won. And you know, no strategy whatsoever. Um, that, I think that's a fluke because you had a half Ironman Worlds qualifier myself, and we were able to just make it work. 
Um, Colin and I did three simulations together. Okay. And so we refined our strategy as we went. And so I think for doubles, if you want to be competitive, you know, again, there are just elite athletes that can get together. They have so much training experience and competition experience. They can, they can put it together on race day, um, excluding mm-hmm. those people. Um, I think it's important yep. that everybody else is prepared to run two to three simulations before a race. And then at least once a week or every other week doing some type of partner Metcon together. Cause there's so much involved with the chemistry and you kind of need to know what affects your teammate and your teammate need to know what affects you. So, and I think just to integrity of the sport, it's fun to train with who you're going to race with. I would always yeah. encourage that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think it's important to train with them. Awesome. And so you've, you just mentioned strategy there. And that was one question I had quite a lot come through Instagram, which was, how do you decide on your strategy? So how do you decide how fast to run and how do you decide um, how to break up the lunges or the wobbles or the row or the ski? How would you recommend somebody does that to get the most out of their doubles race? So I love this question. I get this a lot in person and there's a couple different ways to answer it. So we'll start with the running. Um, your running is, is going to be limited by the slowest athlete, Right. But if your strategy is simply, hey, we're going to run at the slowest athlete's threshold, right? That may pose some issues when you get into the zone work about who opens and who closes, right? And so that's that needs to be considered. Uh, as far as a more simplistic view, um, I think it's very – I think you should have a plan. And with all my athletes, with the exception of one, we've always had a plan in place. And so like for a row and – row or for ski, you'll hear lots of different strategies. Typically, I like to knock out a big set. So like 350, 350, and then the remainder we split, right? So 150, 150, something like that. Because like I want to not have done as much work going into my next run. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I come in for the first run, my heart rate's already elevated. I want to go, since I'm primed for it, I personally want to go ahead and knock out a bigger block, right? Yep. And then I get the big, I get a big rest. So I've done the 250, 250, 250, you know, I've done that. I've done the three and two. I really like the 350, 350, 151. I really like that. Um, sled push, sled pull, very similar. I think uh, your stronger runner needs to close the sled work, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Or not even necessarily the stronger runner. Those the one whose legs can, they just don't feel it. So uh, one strategy I've seen is where people push it half and then the other person closes it. Um, that's certainly an option. You can do that, but uh, that strategy works too. Uh, on the sled pull, particularly, I think this is important. The sled pull, the sled, the the, the rope is is weird, right? It flexes, so I think it makes more sense to have the bigger athlete start on the sled pull, and so because they're going to be able to move it better than the smaller athlete, just physics, right? So when Colin and I raced, he would start the pool. I would close it. Interesting enough, when you're on the second half of the pool, it feels very easy. So we were able to maintain a really good pace on that. Um, burpees, you know, have a plan. But I think what's realistic is there's your race plan, and then there's what's going to happen in the race. And those are not always the same thing. And so be prepared to be flexible. If the biggest piece of advice I can give for doubles and how to break it up is 
have a plan. Your stronger runner needs to close the zones and then be prepared to let whoever is feeling good to keep going. Right. And communicate constantly. So like, you know, I, let's say athlete A is, says, I'm going to do burpees first. And you have planned that. But you're on your third, you know, your fourth run leading into burpees. And all of a sudden, athlete A is like, man, I'm, I'm kind of hurting. Athlete B needs to be prepared to step in and do that. So that's one of the good things is having that flexibility, but know that that is absolutely going to be part of it. Um, and so with that in mind, if someone's feeling really good, man, let them let them go. So like, for example, if you have somebody who's a beast on the row and you said, we're going to split it five and five, but they're on the row and they're feeling good, right? And maybe you are hurting a little bit encourage them to do more, right? Maybe they go to six, maybe they go to 650 or seven, you know, because if they've got a good flow state, it's not really going to hurt their energy expenditure there. So that's what you need to be prepared to do. Last thing I would say on that, like how you split it up is not as important as far as like the amount as how the athletes feel. Have a plan, be prepared to change that. But if someone is feeling good, let them go because that can be the difference maker in a race. And I've, I've been in races where like we won the race on the rower, right? Or we won the race because, you know, I got enough rest on the burpees and then I was able to absolutely smash them. Same thing with the lunges, right? So those can be difference makers. But like if you're doing really good on the row or whatever it is and you pop off because that's what you've decided, you know, that, that could be the difference maker of 10 to 15 seconds you could have made up. So just, just think of that. And again, people who are game, they're going to think like that, but uh, have a plan, be prepared to change it. Awesome. So yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And so I know you've done the males doubles. I don't think you've done a mixed doubles yet. Um, but you, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of mixed doubles athletes and probably people from uh, reach have done them as well. Do you have any thoughts on should the strategy be much different between the kind of male, male, female, female, male, female? Um, or do you think the strategy is pretty similar for the doubles? So I think if it's unisex, it's, it's going to be basically the same. Um, and you, and I, I would say just maybe this is a generalization, but at, at most gyms, there's going to be substantially more male athletes than there are female. That's, that's just the reality. And so I would say, you know, as it pertains to mixed, okay, it's going to be slim pickings finding an athlete, first of all. But yes, so having done a couple mixed simulations and then seeing those in the gym and at uh, High Rocks, the strategy is definitely different. Um, And in my experience, the, the male has always done the vast majority of the zone work. Um, and so let me give an example. I did a trial last week with a, a woman from the gym and she, you know, she's done Boston a few times, great runner, but she's really new to this style of training. And so going into it, you know, she was like, you know, do I, how much do I need to improve my ski? Like my, my, my row, like, you know, what, how many wall balls do I need to prepare, prepare to do? And so this would be somebody who's completely green, very new to the sport. Um, and, you know, and this may also pertain to like some of the more elite females. 
just the reality of what it is, despite what people think, I, I just think there is a strength and speed difference if you have two competitive athletes between the men and the women. And there's just there's just size. Okay. Like generally speaking, the guys are going to be bigger. So just on physics, they're going to be able to use do the machines and they're going to be able to move the sleds. It's it's just the reality. So when I we were in our simulations, we had like three teams do it last week. All the men essentially did um, 70 to 80 percent of the zone work. There was one team that split it up a little bit more just because the individual male ha- was not used to that volume of running. Um, but I look at it this way. So let's just say that is the best strategy for mixed is for the male to do the bulk of it. Now, this is assuming this uh, competitive or whatever. Um, my teammate was like, hey, I didn't, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I maybe I did as much or I could have done more here. Um, and what I said to them was, yes, you could have done more, but how much would it have affected your running? And if we can't keep a high tempo on the running, you know, it's like gaining, if we lose 10 seconds in the zone to allow you to work, or maybe we pick like, we're going to lose it on the run. So, and that's not a knock on the females. It's not, I, I want to make sure it doesn't come across that way. Um, no, not at, all. at the end not of the day, when the conversation we had is, how do we get the best time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And if yep. you just look at the, the top men's times versus the top women's, even with the differential in weight, the men are just doing it faster. So it only, it just makes sense for the men to do most of the work. So the way I think of it is I want to run at my female's threshold pace. That's my goal. Run at their threshold pace. And then the, the male is going to do the bulk of the work with the female supporting. Right. Yep. How can we maintain the highest rate of work capacity without absolutely killing the male? Because, you know, if you overshoot yourself, the race is essentially done. So I think if you think of it in terms of that way, it's, it would be the same as saying, well, maybe I you know, only did 20% of the work, so I just don't feel like I held it mine in the bargain. Okay, well, maybe you played goalie and you won the World Cup. Are you any less – did you have anything yeah. less to do with winning, right? No, it's, it's a team effort. So the team – is is designed to formulate a strategy that is going to give the best time. Don't think of it in terms of like everything has to be equal. I just yeah. think that's a losing strategy. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's um, so that that's actually a really interesting way to look at it, and um, hopefully that helps people because I've I've had a similar experience where uh, my teammate felt that they didn't do as much as they could have, and like you say, like it's uh, it's a competitive event and the goal is to finish with the best time possible so yeah hopefully that um that helps people when they're strategizing yeah, so too. like if you're yeah. going to do it for fun i think mm-hmm. it's awesome I, I you should go do high rocks for fun it is it is fun it's meant to be hard it's meant to be competitive um and it, and it should but it should be fun if you're going to just have fun and you have no aspirations of doing being competitive like you're not really split it up have fun that way you're both in all the pictures you know it's like you're not getting to the end and being like well i didn't get a picture of me on the on the burpees you know because i didn't do any you know split it up even you want to be competitive you just got to be realistic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so question the one question i wanted to ask you is about why you think that you and colin um well, you you've done very very well at doubles yourself, like not just with Colin, but you've done well in doubles with multiple partners. What do you think it is about your background and your training, and um, just you generally that has you doing so well in the doubles events? I think 
you know, obviously with Colin, very similar outside of Colin. I think you just have to have a winning mindset. For me personally, I think that's a difference maker. You can you could say, well, maybe, you know, I'm not as fast here, or maybe it's because I'm good at this, that, or the other. I just think you have to go in. If you're going to be competitive, you want to win. You cannot win if, if you don't believe you're going. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. if you believe you're going to win, then you need to train with that mindset because it is really embarrassing to tell people that you're going to smash everybody and then not do that, right? Yeah. Um, and so that really helps in your training. So I think the difference maker just for, I think, you know, I'm not setting myself on any type of pedestal. I don't think I'm better than anybody else. But when I go into com- competition, my thought process is that I'm going to win because mm-hmm. I like to compete because it's fun. But winning is fun. Losing sucks. Okay. Um, I don't like to lose. And so does that mean that we're going to win every single time? No. So I think if you have that winning mindset, when you get in your training, it gets difficult. What I'm thinking of is, well, would a world champion slow down here? Is a world champion going to, you know, skip this or that? That's what I'm thinking. Um, it's, you know, and that's, again, mindset. As far as the physical side goes, you know, I'll be 40 in November. And I have been weight training since I was 12 years old. You know, I played soccer through college. Um, and so I think I have accrued a lifetime of uh, muscular endurance and strength, right? Mm-hmm. That I don't think somebody who starts two years ago has never weight trained is going to be able to match, right? Um, and so I think for me, just personally, if you, you know, if you were to like write out skills and, you know, things that you're good at, like on, on a one to 10, Um, and I think this is good for all athletes to learn this, your maximal lifts are important, but not so much for high rocks, right? I've seen plenty of athletes who can squat a a ton of weight. It does. It's not really going to transfer because that's power, right? Now I would be more interested in like your hypertrophy. So what's your 20 rep max? Right. Because that's going to be that's endurance. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for my training, I have done so much hypertrophy and muscle muscular endurance training for, you know, 25 years. that It's a, it's it's accrued a lot of value to me over time. So I used to race in obstacle course races before Spartan existed. And I was you know, I would win a lot of races. I was like praying that there would be hills in the race. Because like I could just run yeah. them and it just didn't affect my running because my legs were so used to doing a thousand lunges. You know what I'm saying? So I would I would tell people like and, and again that's hard to do a lot of volume and then also be running. You know like, but I never want to be one of those people that says you know if I squat on Monday I can't go on that hike on Tuesday. If I deadlift yeah. on Wednesday then I can't play soccer league tonight. Right. I just think that that is such a weak mindset. And so I don't want my life to be like, you know, I, 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 you know, I've got to train tomorrow. So then the next day after that, I'm just not going to be able to go water skiing because, you know, I'm, I'm going to be too, like, I just think that's a very weak mindset. So hypertrophy training is the difference for me. And then I think just the mindset of like, I'm going to win. That's what I'm going to You know, and as it pertains to Colin, he thinks the same way. Mm hmm. 
So I'm actually really keen to come back to the hypertrophy um, style training that you do. I've got a question on that in just a moment. But one thing I wanted to ask you, which um, really interests me as an athlete myself, is how bad, can you put into words how bad or maybe not how bad, how you feel during a high rocks? Like how how, um, emotionally and physically demanding is it for you as, you know, the top elite athlete? Well, I certainly wouldn't say I'm top elite athlete, but I think to answer the question, <laughs> you're the world champ. You're the world champ, <laughs> so you're definitely up there. We had a good day. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, man, it it's it's never easy. Like I've mm-hmm. never. Obviously, you cross the finish line, particularly if you if you've won. Now, most races, you you'll know if you've won. But the worlds, that's a different. We we didn't know. Um, mm-hmm. But when you win, you cannot take that as like an indicator of how you felt the whole race. It's going to cloud your view because you cross the line. You're like, oh, and you feel amazing, right? Mm-hmm. I've never crossed the line and fallen on the ground. And so there are going to be people who listen to this and say, well, then you didn't go hard enough, right? But there, there's adrenaline, right? And so that's keeping me from falling on the ground. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yes, every time I've done a race, it, there's a mental battle in there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I've done it and I, and every time I think like I'm going to go into, it, it's not going to be hard. It it's always hard. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. It's just going to be hard if you're trying to get the, the best out of yourself. And mm-hmm. so, you know, even my simulations, like I wouldn't say I have anxiety about them or I get nervous, but like, I know what's about to happen. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And it's, yeah. yeah. So last week I ran a time trial. I think I mentioned this with a, with a co-ed. And so I was not feeling particularly great, but then in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to be running with a female, but it's going to feel a little different. Maybe we'll run a little bit slower. Um, or maybe, you know, all the, whatever it might be. We mm-hmm. did run slower, but man, I did exponentially more zone work. And so yeah. uh, it didn't, it hurts sometimes during it, but the after mm-hmm. effect was much worse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. when I run with uh, my normal teammates, uh, like a uh, another male, it just it's just it's a suffer fest. And mm-hmm. you know maybe our faces don't look like that because you're seeing us run across the finish line, but it's hard every single time. That's what I can say. If you're expecting it to be a cakewalk, it's just it's just not. Now there are those yeah. inhumans out there that they, you know, they can win a world championship and the next day go do another race. They don't, they don't ever think it was hard. I can't speak mm-hmm. for them, but for the rest of us yeah. mortals, it's prepare, prepare to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's really, I always appreciate hearing uh, that from a top athlete, because for me, as somebody who, um, you know, like you train hard and you race hard and it's, it's so hard, like for even my level, which is, um, you know, very low level pro high rocks ev- events that I've done. And it hurts me so bad and you know it's I think it's easy for you to think are these like elite athletes who are putting in these top times must be built different or mentally it must just be so much easier for them but like you say like it isn't (laughs) it's just you have that mindset that you're going to to push yourself and you're going to get it done and you suffer just as much as anyone else so yeah I I always appreciate hearing that for sure and I think too there is a genetic disposition for, for everybody. 
And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we have to be realistic about that, that like some people's starting point in the game is, is 10 times further ahead than another person's. Yep. And so yep. when you're looking at the elite level, you're trying to see those, all of those people, how do they stack up against each other? Right. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it might take somebody another 15 years just to get to this guy's starting point. It's got to mm-hmm. be realistic about that. And that's not to discourage people. It's just to say that like, they're not necessarily built different. It's just the starting point is different. Right? Yeah. 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 And it's one of the great things about High Rocks, I think why it's so popular is because if, if you do look at the times of the elite athletes and just think that's, I could never do that. You can just beat your time next time you race yeah. and just keep doing that each time and you'll keep getting better. And that becomes your competition, you know? So I, I, I think that's a, yeah. But yeah well, I, I mean, I think I heard Dylan say this. It was in Marcus's um, blog, and he was talking about Kipchoge and some of these other athletes. They're actually getting better. Right? <laughs> yeah. So how encouraging is that for the rest of us? I, people are already at 98% of the max potential they will ever achieve, which m- the vast majority of humans will never get close to their max potential. If the top 99% are getting better, we know the rest of us are not even close to our max potential. So we have so much more room to get better. That should be very encouraging. So if you look at the times three years ago versus today and the elites have gotten exponentially better, the rest of the field will get even more better. Like that the range will be, will be bigger. Mm. That's encouraging. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, as, as you say, so if you just look at the elite males, you know, you look at um, Hunter and if you look at the elite uh, women, uh, Megan Jacoby, both of them smashed their world records this year. So, so as you say, if if the best of the best who were setting the world record times uh, not that long ago are still increasing their times, then yeah, that everybody can do it. So yeah, I, I'm circling back um, just to your your hypertrophy training. So actually, hypertrophy training, I think, especially with um, athletes, gets a bit of a bad rap. Like people, as soon as you start calling yourself an athlete um and you start especially when it's with an endurance so if it comes to crossfit or it comes to um high rocks or it comes to running and stuff people are like whoa you can't go doing those eight to 12 to 20 reps stuff right you got to keep it three to five reps um but your training is quite different um you do quite a lot of isolation work i've seen you do quite a lot of um eight to 12 to 20 rep stuff so could you tell us a bit about your thought process behind that and how you manage doing um hypertrophy and the the hybrid athlete stuff and still be so successful it's a good question i think first i will say i just enjoy it so i mean who who doesn't want to look muscular i mean i guess some people don't i don't know any of them Uh, (laughs) you know let's just put it this way if anybody, it, it, it never gets old if somebody tells me I, that I look muscular. It, it's never going to get old, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, I, and I've been trained like this as long as I can remember. Now, I never tried to get to the capacity to look like a bodybuilder or anything like that. Um, but I just mm-hmm. love the style of training. And then, you know, if you have muscul- muscle, it, propensity gives you the ability to get stronger. That's, you know, I also think that the hypertrophy training is, uh, is safer. Right. Uh, Let's just say that I'm going to write a strength training program for somebody that doesn't squat or deadlift very often. And I'm going to be having them do three to five reps at the 80 percent range. 
they likely don't have good form and they're just not getting the number of reps under their belt to be successful at the movement. So like most injuries I see are in just sub-maximal lifts, just personally, right? Uh, you never see a gym fail of somebody doing a 15 rep, a set of 15 and a seven RPE, like getting hurt, right? But like how many two rep maxes do you see people tearing their pack or whatever it might be? So um, I just think there's a kind of a safety thing. Number two, if you do a lot more hypertrophy training, specifically in your legs, um, I'm of the opinion that that can reduce the volume of running you need to do, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I mentioned this in another call we had, and uh, I think I try to do twice as much strength and hypertrophy training as everybody else and about half of the conditioning. Now, that is just a personal preference, um, but in my own life, I've seen great crossover, and I've got hundreds of athletes that follow our training and they train the same style and are doing amazing in, the, in whatever their sport might be. So mm -hmm. muscular endurance would be one. Number two, you're, I think you're less likely to get injured. Obviously, you can deal with bouts of tendonitis you know, if you're overdoing it. Uh, but if you're smart, that should be a non-issue. Uh, number three, you're going to build more muscle that way. And now you can make the case that for an endurance athlete, maybe more muscle is, requires more oxygen and, and blood and all that. But as specific as it is to high rocks, I, look, some of the top guys are super jacked, you know, like Hunter's a big guy. He's muscular. Um, so, you know, that's a case study in and of, of itself. So um, I think that training is valuable. It also strengthens the tendons, right? So like if you think there's no place to do three sets of 20 leg extensions, um, okay, well, what happens if you're trying to do lunges and you have extreme IT band pain from all the running you're doing? right? How are you going to strengthen your quads? Isolation movements and they strengthen the tendons. So I think there's something to be said for that. Um, and it's, it, you get a different stimulus, right? So like, you know, when you have a good run, you have the runners high, right? When you do hypertrophy training and people get a pump, essentially, it is like the equivalent of, of a runner's high. So there's just a different kind of endorphin release you get from it, which I think is really healthy. Now, with that said, I'm not saying just do hypertrophy and your conditioning yep. and we in, in our athlete program we do both you know like mm -hmm. yesterday i did a ton of volume as far as like cyclist squats and reverse lunges but like tomorrow i'm doing three by five on front squat deadlift and shoulder press right and so i think i just like the hypertrophy style again they're the app the the obvious reason sport for the benefits but you know, at some point I'm not going to be able to compete or just not going to have that desire. And frankly, I want to look like I work out. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool. I think if you were honest and you said like, I th and this is not a knock on Toby. Okay. Amazing athlete. Right. If you were to put Toby and Hunter next to each other, right. And you didn't know how they performed and nine out of 10 people would, would say they want to look like Hunter. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. The people who say, I just don't care whatsoever about what I look like typically already look good. Uh, or they're just not being honest. <laughs> I just, nobody doesn't want big biceps. Okay, give me just so yeah, 
Uh, last question for you, actually. So I was going to ask if you could tell us a bit about um, REACH training. So that's the training that you offer and where people can find out a bit more about what you do and also what your athletes um, do over at REACH. Right. So teamreachtraining.com. You can, you can go there and you can view all of our teams. When I say team, that is a perpetual calendar of training. And we separate the teams based on the style of training. So there is functional bodybuilding, there's athlete, there's strong, which is like powerlifting, there's strength and conditioning, there's fit, there's all these different teams. They are perpetual calendars. People can try any of them, any of them for seven days for free. You can also go to our Instagram, which is Team Reach Training, which we kind of just started. Um, and then, of course, there's my Instagram, which is ReachFF underscore Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R. Um, here, the short version is it's functional training. Um, but all of my training does have a slight aesthetic tilt to it because I don't know anybody who says they don't want to look like they work out. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you want to look good and still be able to jump on the trampoline with your kids, go on a hike in the weekend or run a high rocks race, that is the and look like you work out. That would be the short summary of what, my, what our training is. It is not mm-hmm. just the vast majority of our training is not for just athletes. That represents a very small portion of what we do. Our largest program that we have is functional bodybuilding. We have several hundred athletes or several hundred individuals on that. And so people who are watching doing high rock, so you you have quite a um, high, like a a pretty high volume and kind of tailored towards being a hybrid athlete, right? Or like um, a strong athlete from what I saw. Yeah. So I I would, I would summarize it in this, in our training, we're going to have three days a week, uh, easy, long, and either tempo or interval or compromised. On our strength, we're going to have a hypertrophy day, a athletic power output day, and then a strength day. That would be a general summarization. And then we're going to have mm-hmm. a lot of accessory work. And when I say accessory, I'm talking like joint, like so mobility on your hips, shoulders, things like that. I know hybrid world and most people, when they say accessory, they think isolation. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, and so that would summarize it. So in our athlete program, we, we have 10 to 14 sessions a week. What I love about it is if you miss one, it's not like, oh my gosh, I didn't get that for the week. You're going to do that at some point again, two or three mm-hmm. times. I'm of the philosophy of high frequency training. So instead of like killing myself one day for one particular goal, I like to spread out that over the week so that every time I do it, it's at a high quality. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for your time today, Taylor. Awesome. I'm, I'm really excited to, sh- to share this um, insight on doubles and also about um, hypertrophy training as well. Because, you know, as not a lot of people train, train that way. So hopefully it opens some eyes. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. Great to see you.